in the parable that we'll read later this evening. Psalm 51, hear now the very words of our God. To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, in whole burnt offerings. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. <clears throat> Amen. And our second reading will be from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. In your pew Bible, that'll be on page 1042. Luke 18, beginning in verse 9. He, that is Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> well, at this time, let us go to the Lord and ask him for guidance this evening. Now, let's pray. <clears throat> our Lord and our God, 
Your word is a lamp unto our feet, and in your light do we see light. Lord, we pray that we would come to you with, with hearts that are moldable, hearts that can be changed, that can be shaped into the very image of Christ. And Lord, we do pray that, that you would show us Christ in this passage, that we may come to know him better, love him better, worship him with a greater sense of duty and love for the grace that he's given to us. For we ask this in his name. Amen. Well, in the year 1996, uh, Disney, of all companies, released a movie entitled The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Okay, the Hunchback of Notre Dame, based on a much older book by a man named Victor Hugo. And I highly recommend both. If you've not seen or read, I highly rec recommend them. They're, they're great, they're edifying, they're challenging in all the right ways. And if you're not familiar with the story, the story is about two men, primarily. Claude Frollo, the, the outwardly righteous, the outwardly pious archdeacon of Notre Dame, and Quasimodo, the, the lowly hunchback, right? The man who's kind of uh, grisly to look at. Not really a sight you'd want to see. One who's actually... Uh, deaf in the novel because of the ringing of the bells. It's a story of two men. And listen to the lyrics of the opening number in the animated Disney movie. It speaks of Claude Frollo in this way. It says, Claude Frollo longed to purge the world of vice and sin. And he saw corruption everywhere except within. That's pretty profound for a Disney movie, right? That's pretty profound, a Disney movie that talks about sin and evil and wickedness in the world. And, and as the number continues, it talks about all the wicked things that Claude Frollo has done, uh, the wicked things he does in private, the wicked things he does in public, the way he fails to fight sin in his own heart. And then we are left with the question of the movie, who of these two is the monster and who is the man? Who is the monster and who is the man? As if to say, the answer might surprise you. And Jesus, similarly, today, offers us an interesting question. He has two figures in this parable. The, the Pharisee, the outwardly pious and religious leader, and the lowly, undeniably sinful, you could say, tax collector. And we're meant to ask the very same question. Who is the monster? Who is the man? Who is the sinner? Who is the saint? Who is the one that is justified, made right in the sight of God, and who isn't? And Jesus doesn't leave us in the dark for very long. He makes it rather clear by the end. But we can't miss the shock and awe of this passage. This would have been a surprising thing for his hearers to hear. Okay, and no matter how many times we've heard this text, it should humble us, it should challenge us each and every time because this text is meant to snuff out any sense of self-righteousness that might be blooming in our hearts. It's right there in the text, in fact, what Jesus is doing. Verse 9. Isn't it nice when we're told the purpose of the parable? 
He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. There it is. That's what he's doing. He is chopping at the root of indwelling righteousness, self-righteousness in our hearts. He's not allowing it to give any room in the hearts of you and me. And just in case you're wondering if you really need to hear this, is this really a sermon for you? Is this a parable for you? I think it's worth noting that Jesus is more than likely here addressing his disciples, not the Pharisees, not the tax collectors, not the Ninevites, not those sinners over there. He's talking to his very own people. If you look at the end of the last chapter, chapter 17, we'll see that the Pharisees ask him a question. He then answers it, and in verse 22, Jesus begins speaking to his disciples, and that seems to carry on all the way to this text, almost as if his disciples are the very ones that need to hear this message. So take note, listen up, this is, this is always an applicable parable, and it's a rather simple one at that. So as we look at this text, we're going to look at it in two parts. First, we're going to look at the walk and the talk of the Pharisee and then the walk and the talk of the tax collector. Two things that couldn't be further removed from each other. And so as we unpack the actions of the Pharisee, it probably is unsurprising that this is somewhat, at least somewhat applicable to us. What is a Pharisee? A Pharisee is a publicly religious figure, right? He's a person who prays all the time. He's a person who prays often and loudly with big words. He's a person who does all of the right things, who goes to all the right worship services, who does, quote-unquote, what he is supposed to do, at least outwardly speaking. And yet, listen to the cadence of his prayer. Listen to the arrogance in his prayer, all the way down to his posture. And we're told that this man confidently strides up to the temple, literally up to the temple, the temple being the high point in Jerusalem. Uh, Psalm 24 might ask, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, of course. You almost get the intention that, that the, the Pharisee thinks that's him. That's me, isn't it? I have clean hands. I have a pure heart. You almost get this picture of him strutting up the hill of the Lord. And he stands by himself. He stands by himself as he prays. Now, standing, of course, is not so uncommon, but, but standing by himself, almost in a, in a self-righteous way, a self-sufficient way, standing on his two feet, a self-made man. And we see this reflected in the very words that he says. God, I thank you. I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And I bet that not many of you have prayed that prayer, hopefully. But I am willing to bet we've all thought it, at least on some level. God, I thank you that I'm not like those people. If you're Jonah, God, I thank you that I'm not like those Ninevites. If you're one of us today, maybe it's thank you I'm not like those liberals or those conservatives, those Lutherans those Catholics, thank God I'm not as bad as they are. And don't you hear how dripping in pride that is? Dripping in self-righteousness. And look what he goes on to say. He almost gives a list of qualifications as if this prayer was a job interview. 
as if God said, what can you bring to this company? He says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And even these two things were more than the Levitical law requires. Leviticus chapter 23 tells us that fasting is expected once a year on the Day of Atonement. He fasts twice a week. My goodness, what a great guy. Similarly, the fact that the Pharisee gives tithes of everything was a little bit more than what was expected. But listen to what Jesus says. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, these valuable spices, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. On the outside, this tithing and fasting might seem great, but Jesus is always, always more concerned with the heart. And when it comes to this prayer, there is no admission of guilt. There is no confession of sin. There is no suggestion that this man even depends on the Lord for a thing. It's actually amazing that he thanks God at all, because at the end of the day, this is simply a comment on how great he is. And you notice how many times the word I is used in this prayer. Now, that's sort of a result of the translation, but I think it's faithful to the text. I thank God that I am not like other men. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. That's five times. We can see and smell self-righteousness all over this man. And let's not forget the purpose of the parable, directed to those who trusted in themselves to be self-righteous, and subsequently, because of that pride, treat others with contempt, others like the tax collector. And we see that pride and arrogance sort of flow naturally from this man, but it cannot be further contrasted, further removed from that of the tax collector. Now, the very fact that the tax collector would be praying at all might be surprising to the original audience. Okay, The Pharisee, not so much, but the tax collector. I mean, what are tax collectors? They're, they're the worst of the worst. These are not only bad people, but they are traitors. They are employed by Rome to tax the people of God, and usually at an exorbitant rate. These are the worst of the worst. Not only were they extortionists, they were traitors. <clears throat> and in the Greek, it's not even a tax collector, it's the tax collector. Almost as if this were the very embodiment of tax collectors. The Benedict Arnold of Benedict Arnold's. The Mussolini of Mussolini. The tax collector of tax collectors. It's shocking that someone this wicked would even want to pray. But notice the difference that Jesus draws out for us here. Notice the difference in the posture and the prayer of the tax collector. First of all, we are told, verse 13, that he stands far away. He would not even lift his eyes to heaven. There is not an ounce of pride in this man. Uh, this tax collector does not think that he belongs in the courts of God. You could argue he had a better understanding of the law and its function than the Pharisee did. He couldn't even look up fully aware of his own status before the Lord, fully aware of what sin does to our relationship with God, he could not even look up, but rather he beats his breast. He beats his breast. What does that mean? That means oftentimes it's, it's meant to show sorrow and conviction over one's sin. 
it sort of strikes at the heart of the matter, which, of course, is a sinful heart, quite literally. And he cries aloud, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Short, sweet, to the point, uh, not ripe with theological lingo, uh, no big, fancy words, rather a short, simple, heartfelt cry for mercy. A prayer that acknowledges one's own need for a Savior, one's need for God, for his love, and for his mercy. One that sort of puts God in the driver's seat. One that says, God, if I am to get anything in this life, it is by your grace and your grace alone. And so before you sits two men and two prayers. On one hand, a prayer that is verbose, uh, full of a, a list of righteous deeds from the mouth of a religious leader. And on the other, five short words from the chief of sinners. And so I ask you, who is the monster and who is the man? Who is the sinner, who is the saint? Who leaves here justified and who doesn't? And we've heard this parable recently, from what I've heard. We've heard this parable a thousand times. But friends, this answer would have been startling to the original hearers. Jesus says, I tell you, this man, that is the tax collector, went down to his house justified. This man goes down to his house with a right standing before God. This man stands before God in the robes of Christ's righteousness. Not the Pharisee, but this lowly, lowly sinner. Jesus loves a humble prayer and a humble heart. So friends, what can we learn from this parable? Now, what does this offer to us today? Well, firstly, it, it tells us what God values in prayer. Uh, interestingly enough, both this parable and the one just before it are lessons on how to pray. So does God care about how we pray? Apparently he does. But don't let that be a burden to you. Don't let that be an obstacle. Be encouraged by the simplicity of this prayer. What we see here and what we should, should have every time we go to the Lord in prayer is a true heartfelt dependence upon him. When we go to the Lord, we go to the God who sustains us, who gives us our every breath, our every day. And what's more, it's good for us to acknowledge that. For friends, we are dependent on him whether we recognize it or not, and it is good for your souls to recognize it. To go to the Lord and acknowledge our dependency on him. God values sincerity and heartfelt prayers. When's the last time you truly poured your heart out before the Lord? Truly poured your heart out before the Lord. It is a healing thing. It is a good thing to do. Secondly, friends, if you uh, come away from this sermon thinking, thank God I am not like the Pharisee, then I've not done my job. I've missed the point and 
it's important that we know that this parable is not for those people. Not for those people outside of ourselves. In fact, we know from Jesus' very own words that the parables are for the people of the kingdom. Are they not? They reveal truths for the people of the kingdom and even hide truths from people outside the kingdom. So people of the kingdom, this parable is for you and it is for me. And ask yourself this, do I belong to the category that Jesus is addressing? Am I of those who trust in themselves that they are righteous and treat others with contempt? If you don't know, perhaps reverse engineer it. Do you treat others with contempt? Are you likely to do so? And if so, it might be because you harbor some self-righteousness. And this is probably going to be a problem for each of us this side of paradise, I imagine. But fear not, friends. Fear not. Uh, the very pang of conviction in your hearts is the Holy Spirit helping you to see that and guiding you to where you should take it. Guiding you to the foot of the cross. Lifting your head up to the Savior who gives you grace upon grace. We read together just a few minutes ago the words of Psalm 51. You do not delight in sacrifices, or I would give it. But the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Take this simple lesson from Jesus. Prayer can be simple and profound. And the beauty of this parable is that it opens our eyes to our own need for grace, our own pride, our own shortcomings. And in that great double-edged sword nature of Jesus' words, it points us to the solution. In the very same breath, it offers us conviction of our sin and comfort in our Redeemer. How simple, how amazing is God's grace. May you never enter a church and think that your sin is too great for the grace of God. May you never think that your prayer and plea for mercy is insufficient for God. May you never think that your prayers are too short for our Heavenly Father to listen to them, to bend over and care for you. Friends, may the words of Christ today convict and comfort your souls. Let us go to him now using that very lesson in a time of prayer. Let's pray. <clears throat> o Lord, our God, indeed, we pray you would have mercy on us, for we are sinners. Point us to the grace of Christ, we pray in his wonderful name. Amen. <clears throat>